while the ushers are passing the plate, could you please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I want to start off with just an illustration. I think um, one of the greatest moral victories in American history happened on January 1st, 1863. That's when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation and declared that all African Americans were free. After the Civil War, the 13th Amendment was signed to prove legally that all U.S. slaves were no longer bound to masters and were ever to be owned as property again. The Declaration may have meant the end of forced labor, but it did not mean the end of backbreaking work under the cold, hard eyes of a taskmaster. Actually, you can imagine the emancipated blacks who were given the freedom to own their own property and to keep the efforts of their own labor. However, the sad truth is that the vast majority of them were not able to ever buy land. And not only that, the white community in the South opposed extending credit to them and selling them property. One freedman, Houston Hartsfield Holloway, here's what he wrote. He said, for we colored people did not know how to be free. And the white people did not know how to have a free colored person about them. We didn't know how to be free, and they didn't know how to deal with free people. That's a tragedy, actually. It's sad. It's a sad part of the Reconstruction um, era in American history. But it was true. They were free, but inside they went back to what they knew. I think the same can be true for people who ever were raised in church, especially formal, traditional churches. Even though they have been set free to live in Christ by grace alone, out of fear of others, or out of insecurity in their new standing in grace, people will sometimes go back to the old patterns that they were taught. I've seen this happen many times. Because of their fear of men, or really even of their uncertainty of their standing with God, people will put on masks of external righteousness or masks of false piety because they think that's what it means to be a Christian. But grace will not allow you to wear a mask. It won't. Grace wants you. God wants you. Not your religious displays and expectations of others. He called you to be set free in His grace. And that's really what Galatians is all about. It helps us have confidence in our standing by faith alone. But that's hard to do. And a lot of people in the church these days are living under masks to hide guilt and shame and just this feeling of failure and insecurity. Am I really doing enough? Well, today we're going to uh, deal with I think one of the most interesting stories in the book of Galatians. People have labeled this section the epic battle between the two great apostles. Spiritual titans going mano a mano. Paul versus Peter, and who's going to win? I really don't think that's the issue. I think this issue is Peter fighting himself. The follower of Jesus Christ by grace, the Peter like that, 
is going to be fighting the religious Jewish Peter. And one of them has to win. And we're going to see how this plays out. So if you follow along with me, we're going to read verses 11 to 14 of chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, that's a uh, city and a church in northern Syria. When Peter came to Antioch, I, meaning Paul, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before a certain man came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Those are the only verses we're going to look at. It probably doesn't seem like much, but it's, it's a major issue. And I think it's an issue you deal with. So we're going to work through this. Last week here, our discussion was on people outside of Judaism, outside of religion. Are they allowed to come to Jesus simply by faith alone and not the law? We said absolutely. Last week we talked about Titus. Titus they wondered if he needed to be circumcised to prove his dedication to God. And Paul and Barnabas argued, no, they are, he is saved by faith alone, as is, as is all men. Well, this week we're going to talk about the person who is religious, the person who already was circumcised, the person who is obedient to the law, the religious man. And the question is this. Does the religious person need to keep living by the law and the traditions they were raised in or are they free to live like a non-Jew? And if they do live free, and in living free, they're abandoning some of the traditions they've been taught for sake of unity, are they being disloyal to the heritage they were raised in? Are they being disloyal? It is one thing to come to Christ from a background that never knew Him. If you never knew Christ, came to Him by faith, your first entrance into the church is the only thing you know. It's quite another, however, to come from a rich religious tradition that has formed your identity and established you through loving people. Are you a traitor if you leave them behind because they don't believe quite the way you do? That's a tough one. Oh, that's hard. I know it firsthand. I once had a conversation with my dad concerning how would I raise my kids if, you know, if I had any kids. And this was before I was married. It was really, I think for me, one of the highlights of my walk with Christ. Because my dad, I respected him. I feared my dad. I did not like to make my dad angry. I'm a nice guy. I was a compliant kid. When my dad got hot, he had a little Italian in him, he got hot. And I didn't like that. But he asked me the question, Chris, would you raise your kids in a Catholic church like we raised you? I knew he wouldn't like my answer, but here's what I said. Dad, I can't, because I do not believe they portray an accurate picture of Jesus and his salvation. He looked at me with fire. 
And he said this, so what you're telling me then your whole education was a waste of time? Is that what you're saying? That your mom and dad didn't raise you right? He was mad. I said, Dad, I'm not saying that. I'm grateful for the way you raised me. But with what I know now about the Scriptures, what I know about the character of Christ, I personally can't raise my children in formal religion anymore that circles and centers on ritual and tradition instead of relationship solely. I can't do that. He didn't like it. My mom was washing the dishes at the time, and after my daddy stormed out of the room, I sit at the kitchen table. My mom looked back, and she goes, like that, like, oh, boy, this is not good. And she went back to washing dishes. She didn't hear anything. It's like, Colonel Clink, I know nothing. I see nothing. I know nothing. And my mom is German, so she did say that. Anyhow, my dad came in later, about a half hour later, and he goes, Chris, I understand. I respect your opinion. But I'll tell you, that is when, I'm telling you, when I had to say I disagree, that's when my faith really became mine. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people's faith is the coattails of their mom and dad and grandma. But that was mine. And it was mine because I had to stand up for what I thought was grace and faith alone. No longer was I ruled by the fear of displeasing my dad or losing favor with the religious community I was raised in. I even talked to some priests a couple years later, guys that I would learn from, and I would talk to them about the Scriptures. And I began to realize they didn't know the Bible. That was weird for me. What mattered, though, was my relationship with God, because it's mine. And when I go to heaven, I am not going to have to answer for my dad, my mom, or my grandma. I answer for myself, and so will you. And that's really what this passage is about. Deals with Peter and the fight he's having inside of himself. Is he going to side with grace or religious legalism? And it centers around this thing we call the love feast. The new church started meeting together in each other's homes. Specifically in Acts chapter 2, all these Jews got, they got saved, man. They got converted. They had nowhere to go, so they would meet in each other's homes. That would be relatively easy because Jews had the same culture as Jews. But then if you notice in verse 11, Peter came to visit the church in Antioch. And this is when the problems arose. Why? Antioch was composed of Jews and Gentiles. And the way the love feast worked, what people would do would be like a potluck. They'd bring their dinners. They'd sit down, they'd fellowship together, then they would share the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. And they would share meals. They'd bring them together. And so at Antioch, you had a probably a table laid out with all this Jewish food. And then in the Gentile side, all of this table laid out with Gentile food. Now there's a major problem. And if you're an Orthodox Jew, you understand instantly. Because every good Jew knows you do not touch unkosher food. You can't. What does that mean? According to Leviticus 11, there is a group of foods that are considered unclean. And if you touch them or ingest them, you become unclean. Even if you get in the presence of them, you, you better wash your hands if you're going to go to the temple anytime. Because you don't want to be unclean. And they had a whole list of foods 
in Leviticus 11. You can read it. They're called the dietary laws. And so to the Jew, the reason you don't eat them are for two reasons. One is they believe that these foods are designed to, to be more healthy for you, physically healthier. If you are on a gluten-free diet, you understand what I'm talking about. You can argue with people. Well, actually, Jared Doty's on a gluten-free diet because he has celiac, celiac disease. So if he tastes it, he gets sick. But there's more and more people saying, oh, it's healthy. We're just going to go gluten-free. And then you go to dinner with somebody that's not they're saying, what's wrong with you? Come on. Oh, it's healthier for me. No, it's all a marketing campaign. No, it is, you know, it's that argument. They had the same thing. Kosher foods are better for you. But they also were, were ceremonially required. You had to eat like that if you're a Jew. So here's Peter, the Jew. First time he goes to Antioch, he walks in and he looks to the left and there on the Jewish table is some good matzo balls, just like his grandma made. Mmm. Can smell the garlic rising. Good stuff. And then some unleavened bread and other pastries and other things. He says, that looks good. Looks good. Those are all kosher meals. But then he uh, looks over at what the Gentiles are serving. They've got a wider selection of entrees. The one Gentile Greek grandma comes out and she's got a plate. She comes walking out the plate, probably a big apron. She comes lolloping out like this. And you know what she serves? Bacon. Andrew, come on up here. I mean, this is, this was made to have primordial effects on males. Watch him eat this. Is that good? Oh, man. Give me a hand here. You can have another piece. Go ahead. Wow. So Peter, you can imagine Peter smelling that, saying, what? Man, what's that smell? And, you know, a Greek brother says, oh, my brother Peter, that's bacon. You've never had bacon? Actually, uh, Bob Vandenberg told me a joke. He goes, you know, I don't eat bacon. I said, why don't you eat bacon? He said, well, three of us couples went out to, to have a meal, and one couple sitting across from me, the wife said, hey, sweetie, pass the sugar. Oh, that was so nice. The other couple said, hey, honey, pass the honey. That was really nice. But my wife said, hey, pig, pass the bacon. Anyhow. <laughs> anyhow, that's why, he doesn't eat, that's why he doesn't eat bacon. You can give that one to Bob Vandenberg later. But you can imagine Peter going, what is that? That smells so good. Oh, that's bacon. Yeah, but it's a pig, right? Made with a pig? Yeah, I can't eat it. Peter, God's over it. Why don't you get over it? Okay, no, I can't eat it. I can't eat it. Peter, you just taught us in Sunday school class, the Lord says it doesn't matter what goes in to your belly, what comes out of you, meaning thoughts of lust and sinfulness. It's not physical stuff that pollutes you. It's moral stuff. And Peter's like, hey, I like your idea. So he starts eating. Look at, look at uh, verse 12. Listen to how it's written. Paul says, Before certain men 
came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. This isn't just a one-time piece of bacon. It became a pattern. He became known as a frequenter into Gentile homes and dinners. Man, that's good bacon, isn't it? Wow. Sorry to eat in front of you. It's all for illustration. All for illustration. So, you can imagine Paul probably had more than just bacon, fried pork chops, buttered lobster, steamed lobster tail buttered in a nice creamy buttery garlic salt. I'm sure he had some of that. Shrimp cocktail over ice, you know. I mean, that's, oh, he had all of that. And when the news started getting out to the Judaizers, they had a hissy fit. They couldn't take it. So, if you, if you notice, look at verse 12. Before these certain men came, he started eating. But when they arrived, he drew back. Do you know why they arrived? Because they sent word to James. James sent this delegation to come and spy on Peter. You know, watch him and check him out and goes, I don't like this. I don't like what this guy's doing. And so this made Peter nervous. And so he discontinued fellowship. He stopped meeting with Gentiles in their homes and dinner. Stopped it. So he left the Gentile Christians no longer having a BLT sandwich and he went back to drinking lentil soup. It's sad. The word drawback, where it says he drew back, it says he retreated on what he once believed. He retreated on what he once believed. And he went back to the, only the Mosaic Codes. Not only that, but look at verse 13 is what really is making Paul angry. Verse 13. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy. So you have the Antiochian church. Jews and Gentiles are singing the Father's love together. Peter notices those guys in the back with those robes. And he says, fellas, I'm going to sit over there. So they all start sitting over there. They start separating themselves. And what's worse is look at how it ends. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Who's Barnabas? He's the son of encouragement, Paul's buddy. The guy who went with Titus last week and said, see, Titus is a Gentile, he's saved by grace alone. Now Barnabas doesn't buy into it anymore. This made Paul mad. Look at verse 11. That's why he said when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Can you imagine doing that to the first pope? I can't believe that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's in me. I'm Catholic. I'm allowed to do that. So what this is saying, they believe Peter's the first pope. And Paul's, that's not true. He's a man like you and me. And he fails like you and me. And sometimes we need to admonish one another when we're wrong. Why was Paul so mad for three reasons number one Paul had three pro or Peter had three problems the first problem is did you know God already dealt with Peter on this issue this very same thing God himself did go to the book of Acts real quick Acts chapter 10 when the first church first church started Spreading out, God wanted to reach both the Jew and the Gentile. 
And there was this guy in Acts chapter 10 named Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier of the Italian regiment. That's according to verse 1 of chapter 10. According to verse 2, he was God-fearing. That means he wanted God in his life. In verse 3, God gave him a vision of an angel. And he said, Cornelius. Verse 4, he said, what is it, Lord? He says, I'm listening to you. Your prayers and your good deeds, I notice them. I notice them. So I'm going to send to a man to Joppa, a man you need to see. His name's Peter. So Cornelius is waiting for this guy, Peter. Same Peter that's in Galatians. Now look at verse 9. About noon the following day, Peter went up on a roof to pray. So while God's addressing Cornelius, God is also addressing Peter. And Peter's on a roof. And if you notice, it's interesting, he's on a roof and he's hungry. He was, it's probably about mealtime. The meal's being prepared, but he gets those hunger pains. Probably hot up there, he falls into a trance. And look at what happens when he's in the trance. He saw this vision of heaven opening and a giant sheep, sheet like tablecloth is coming down out of heaven. And on that tablecloth are unclean animals, four-footed animals, reptiles, birds of the air. They weren't allowed to eat that. What, but God says, get up, Peter, kill him, and eat. And if you notice, look at verse 16. To make sure Paul, Peter got it, the vision was given to him three times. And this is from God. God will often do things three times to get your attention. Holy, holy, holy. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, eat. Peter, eat. Peter, eat. So this is God telling Peter, it's okay to eat. So verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, and go with them. And they're from Cornelius, the centurion. If you notice then in the middle of verse 23, the next day Peter started out. He arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him. In verse 25, Peter entered the house. He went into a Gentile's house. And while there... Look at verse 44. He's telling Cornelius all about Christ, how Jesus died, rose again, and by faith you're saved. And look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those of the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Wow. So the Gentiles were saved and they received the Holy Spirit and all this happened while Peter was in a Gentile house. Yes. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Boy, does it make the Jews mad, especially the religious Jews. Verse 11. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. How dare you? In verse 3. And said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How dare you? Probably had some more bacon, right? Andrew, have some more. He loves that stuff. Probably what Peter's eating. So he already dealt with this and he should be passed because God gave him the freedom. How come, this happens all the time, how come when God gives some of us freedom, 
we don't feel like we deserve it, so we go back feeling guilty. Theologically, we know it's okay, but we don't allow ourselves. It's weird how, how actions and obedient to rights are what we get our certainty by instead of just simply the Word of God. Isn't that enough? Second problem with Peter is they had a formal council to make this doctrinal, to make it a new teaching. We talked about all that in Acts chapter 15. Go there for a second. Just I want to show you three verses. Acts 15. This is when Titus came in. They said, so can a Gentile get saved by faith? And Paul make, or Peter stands up in verse 7. After much discussion, Acts 15, 7, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And he's kind of even proud he was the first one sent. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he, and here's the key part, he purified their hearts by faith. Purified, that means they were now forever clean by faith. So if they ate food, did that make them unclean? No, they're purified. They're purified. So he had a formal doctrinal dissertation on this, and he declared this as now universal doctrine for the church. Justification by faith alone. That's, our, that's one of our foundational stones. The third thing, however, about Peter, if we go back to Galatians, the third problem with this is not only is he just not trusting God's word, and not only is he ignoring his convictions, he's a hypocrite. Peter's hypocrisy was discrediting grace and he was causing disunity. That's what verse 13 is all about. The other Jews joined him. This action by Peter was subtly teaching that the Jews, in their religious piety, were probably more righteous than the Gentiles. They were better, more superior, special. Did you ever, did you ever, have you ever been around church people that just they're a little better, a little more superior, just special. And a lot of it is by the way that they act and the things that they do. I'm just a little bit more on fire. When we start judging externally, we are destroying the purpose of grace. One writer says, by acting this way, Peter was compelling the Gentiles to obey the Levitical legislation concerning foods. If they refused, they could not have fellowship with Peter, Barnabas, and the Jerusalem delegates. So the only way to bring unity was for them to abandon their Gentile practices and become Jewish. That's crazy. If you've ever been in a church with worship wars, you understand that. One group demands that the other adopt their practices or no fellowship is granted. That happens both ways. Those who are adopting new practices or those who are holding on to old practices, if you don't do it the way we do it, you're just not doing it right. We're not going to fellowship with you. So let's have a 9.30 service and 11 o'clock. Everybody's happy. Why can't we humbly give in and serve one another? Out of unity and love. 
It's sad. So in a way, based on all three levels, Peter, according to Paul, was a, and the worst word of all, it's the worst word of all, because you hate this word, he was a hypocrite. In verse 13, it's used twice. The other Jews join him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, Barnabas was led astray. What does hypocrite mean? In this case, it's a unique word and it says, wearing a mask to conceal your real character. Wearing a mask to fool people about who you really are on the inside. Displaying something you don't truly believe on the outside. It's a disguise. Peter says in verse 14, look how he writes it. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Here's what he's saying in our language. Peter, come on, man. I saw you stuffing your face with bacon. Come on. Now that the bigwigs are here, you choke down matzo balls with this feigned smile, and you're expecting the Gentiles to eat that same colorless soup. Stop the game. You're not fooling me. I always find it funny. If you think about it, I always find it funny when people are in their homes, and when they're in their homes, they wear jeans to walk around the house, or, or they'll watch television shows. And on those television shows, often, those television shows, they'll have like as a background music, the Rolling Stones or ACDC or some kind of heavy beat, and that's their favorite show. Or when they're at work, they'll talk to their NASCAR, their buddies about NASCAR, and often using colorful language. But once they get to church, they change everything. They change their dress, they change the music they like, and then they change the topic of conversation. And I'm not condoning talking using colorful language, but what I'm saying is why do you use it there? Then you lie in here. Be the same person in both places. I'd rather have you swearing in here so I could kick you out of the church. Get out of here. Instead of lying about it. Being this guy, yes, I go to church. You walk like that. I go to church on Sunday, and then you get with your buddies. and <laughs> You're two-faced. Stop it. Here's, I think, I think the problem is that people from Monday to Saturday, they act like themselves, and on Sunday there's somebody different for two hours, and Paul says this is wrong. This is why people hate religion. Because it seems fake. It's like a bunch of people wearing masks. And this is honestly why people don't, they don't want to have anything to do with God because they think God's this grand puppeteer who's making everybody act plastic. Hi, hello, God's great, and so am I. How are you? Then they leave here, and they cut off the things, and they act normal again. Be normal. But love God in both places. You know, a mask may hide your face. You think you're fooling people by the way you dress and act, but it can never hide your heart. Falseness and farce and plastic drips off of you. And it will be 
obvious to everybody around it. It's what I call a tacit understanding. You're just like when you're with somebody that's fake, you just kind of taste it. Eh. Do you believe the Bible? Oh, of course I do. I read it every day. And they pray our Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We thou worship thee. And then when they, 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 but they really don't pray. Have you ever heard somebody that really knows God pray? And Dan, not to point you out, but you're kind of like that. And I know Dan hates that. But I love to hear Dan Spolster pray because I know he's talking to God like that when I wasn't in the room. Why do people act apart? Why do they put on this mask? Fear. Fear. Look, it's what it says in verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. When they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. He was afraid of them. We are too, honestly, we're afraid of disapproval and rejection by those we respect and admired. We don't want them to look down on us. I gave, I gave seven reasons why I think people's opinions matter so much to you. Have you ever wondered why do, why do people's opinions matter to you so much? A lot of what we do is because of how other people may think about us, like we're ruled by other people's opinions. We give a lot of people power and we never should. You know, some people can ruin our day by their opinion of us. Why do you let that happen to you? I think it's emotional stealing, emotional robbery, when usually you let a disgruntled person steal your joy. But why do we let that happen? I think, number one, sometimes we're just unsure of our standing or our decisions, and we think other people are sure so we just adopt their actions and practices. I call this the lemming effect. You just start to do what other people do because you think they're doing it right, but you're really not sure if they're doing it right. You just do it the way they do it. There was a study that was done, and I did a, um, some researcher did a study in the way people worship, and they said the kind of church you're raised in, 80% of the people will adopt the same kind of worship practices as their mom and dad. So if you're a very stoic church, and I'm not saying either of these are right or wrong. I grew up in a church where you'd sing like this. That's how I, I, I thought that was holy singing. Some churches, they are very charismatic. They will, they'll go like this. And they'll, they'll even use tongues. And do you know 80% of kids raised like that learn that? Some will even learn to twitch. You ever see a twitch? That's when the Holy Spirit comes down. Ah, man, I got hit by the Holy Spirit, did you? Yeah, wow. And little kids do that. Is that really the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying either of these are right or wrong. But I am saying often the things we do are because we observe others do it. And we don't ask why. We just do it. It's the lemming effect. I think fear also, we want to be liked. Peter wanted to be liked. I was talking to Derek about Peter, and he said, if you think about Peter, he was so, like, volatile. He was the first one to say, I'll follow, but he's the first one who said, I don't know the guy. And a lot of us who are volatile emotionally are quick to do things so people will like us. Where Peter was more driven by conviction, or Paul was more driven by conviction, 
And sometimes he didn't mind having people mad. I mean, he got stoned three times. He didn't mind it. You're wrong. Oh, yeah, I'll throw the stone at you. Go ahead. You're still wrong. Peter would say, all right, all right, all right. Well, hip, hip. You want me to make you dinner? I'll eat bacon for you. Unless the Jews are around, I better not do that. The third reason people are a little fearful is we just like peace. Conflict is scary. I think conflict is scary because when I disagree with somebody, people don't react well anymore. You know when people disagree with you, often you think they don't like you. Oh, you, what, are you, what are you saying about me? I'm, not, I'm just disagreeing with you. People get so easily insulted, don't they? Do you know what Proverbs says about somebody who gets easily insulted? A wise man looks past an insult. I think people don't like conflict because they don't, you know, I just don't, I just don't want somebody to hate me anymore. We don't want to lose our standing. We wear a mask because we want to be accepted in a higher echelons of leadership. Or we don't want to be left out of the group. One time I was in a group of about 20 pastors, I was in this meeting up north, and they were discussing something, and in my gut, I'm like, oh, this is making me mad. They're so wrong. And I'm like, Chris, be quiet. Don't say anything. So I held my arms like that, and I'm sitting in the back of this meeting. I'm like, oh, my mad. And as Derek knows, man, I can't hold it in for too long, and sometimes if I try, it's not good. A day later, they said something, and I, I said, I disagree with that. You guys are wrong. Actually, everything you've been saying for the last two days is wrong. And everybody looked at me and said, you know, it's almost like I'm a vampire. What? And then they said, oh, he's from Kent City, you know, that hillbilly. <laughs> Don't listen to him. I think two other reasons we wear a mask is we don't want to be seen as evil or thought of as evil. We don't want to be ostracized. And finally, and this may be one of the biggest reasons, we want to make sure we're acceptable to God. So we do everything we can. We, don't, we cross all our I's and we dot, or dot all our I's, cross all our T's to do the right thing so God likes me. And Paul is saying, no, stop it. He likes you. He likes you. So out of fear, we put on a mask and we act apart. And so as Peter was sipping lentil soup, he had to be hungering for that bacon. And so you know he's saying, who am I? What do I really believe but to be on the safe side? He went back to that lentil soup and slurp, slurp, slurp. And a part of his soul died. I think a lot of us have died because we have boxed ourselves in out of fear. We're not who God wants us to be. We're not free. And when you lose a part of yourself, you're not as joyous and compelling as you could be. It's interesting. Peter Barnabas and the rest of the religious Jews, I believe, made one major blunder. And I think most traditional religions make this Epic fail. It's one epic fail. And this is a picture of this incredible church in Barcelona, Spain. It's amazing. But I put, I put it on there because it has all of those construction cranes showing that, you know, religion is like this grand work that we are doing in process. And I think we are so compelled by it because we failed at one area. Religion does. And when I mean religion, I'm not talking devotion to God. I'm talking about structured, traditional cumbersome duty. 
it forgot one word, the definition of the word because. You're like, what? Forgot the definition of the word because? Yeah, I want to show you. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Deuteronomy for the Jew is a very important book. It's the last book in the Torah. The Deuteronomy means second giving of the law, and it has all of Moses' final instructions, which include very important Mosaic laws we must obey. But I want you to notice what Moses said starting in verse 6 of chapter 7. You've got to read it real slow. Watch. Verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Holy means separated, chosen and separated for him. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasure. That's that's a good thing. To be his very own, his treasure, his jewels, his delight. Now watch verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest. But it was because the Lord loved you. Why did he choose you? Because all the things you did? No. He loved you because. Derek, why are you getting married to her in a couple weeks? Why? Because. Truthfully, you, you really don't know her. I mean, if you've been married 10 years, you start, Phil, you're just starting to get to know Crindy, aren't you? It's still taking a long time. I know, you got a lot to learn. But you didn't marry her because of really reason. You married her because there's this inside because. I just had a big open house for my oldest daughter, and it cost a lot of money, and we spent all this time planning for it. My wife and I are worried, getting ready, all this. Why did we do all of that? Because! That's it. He loved me. The reason God chooses you has nothing to do with what you eat, what you wear, how you perform, He loves you. One person called this divine ill logic. There's no reason. There just is. And you get this. You understand this about so many things. You understand this when you have your first baby and you see him in the hospital. You look at him in the nursery and you say, why? Because, man, that's my my kid. You get it. If you get it, why do we lose it when we become adults? We have to think, we have to perform. We don't. That's what grace is. It's because. So my my final question for you is this. What do you want to live by? Because really it's your choice. Do you want to live by grace? Or do you want to live by fear? Fear of others' expectations. Or live by grace, the very word of God which gives you stability and gives you joy. And life will be like eating bacon every day. But it's your choice.
So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, just the book of Galatians. Is a, it's really an overpowering book. It's a life-changing book. I know some people in here really need it. They need to hear it. They need to believe it. Some people in here, God, I know do not believe you love them. They don't believe it. And if you ask them why, they give all these reasons why. I didn't do enough. I'm not this pretty. I'm not this good. I'm not. It's all reasons. But your, your logic is illogical. It's just because. Help them understand that. I pray, Father, also that um, help us not to judge and help us not to feel like we have to meet people's expectations, only yours, only Christ's, and help us live strong on that. We thank you for this day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.